0: Well, it is good to welcome you to Freedom Church today and also to welcome in those of you who are joining us online. We're always happy to have you be a part of worship in that way. We're getting close to wrapping up a series that we've been in for about a a month now that's entitled How to Change the World. And now that's lofty talk, isn't it, to talk about changing the world. And yet that's exactly what Jesus has been doing for the past 2,000 years. And he honors us with an invitation to be just right in the middle of what he's doing, radically changing the world for the better. And today we're really getting to the heart of the matter that if you're going to be somebody who has an eternal impact on the world, what we look at today will be the single greatest opportunity that you have to do that as you share your faith with others in a way that invites them to trust Christ and to be transformed forevermore. So as we dive into that, we have one final memory verse that we're going to look at together. Uh, We'll go ahead and put that up on the screen. We've been working our way through the Roman road, and we're going to conclude with the easiest part of that. Is that over there? There we go. We're doing these all together. So if you'll join me in reciting Romans ten thirteen, it is good news. Say it together with me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news, isn't it? Who gets left out of that? Nobody. Let's declare it together again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now with no help up above. One more time. All right, that's easy enough, isn't it? Now turn to your neighbor. Take 15 seconds and quote it to each other. Everybody take a turn with the reference at the end. Ready, set, go. All right, have you done that in both directions? One more time, everybody together. Everyone. Romans. Good stuff. What you have finished today is, is learning the Roman road. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Picking up where we left off last week, and let me say thank you for those of you who are here last week for your involvement in the message. I'm going to give you an opportunity to interact today as, as we really want this to be something that you get your head and your hands around, learning to effectively share your faith. Thank you for the questions that you ask and really interacting with this. We're, we're picking up exactly where we left off. And if you missed last week, I'll just tell you, if you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to the message. It, I think you'll find it really practical because last week was all about framing conversations to go to a, a spiritual spiritually deeper level and so that you have an opportunity to share the gospel. And so where we ended last week really was when you draw a conversation down to the point that you're able to ask the key question. Now, there's more than one way to do this. But we're using a particular approach so that everybody at least feels like you know one good way to get to the gospel. So we've led the conversation to a point through some different questions to ask this bottom line question. In your opinion, what do you understand that it takes for a person to go to heaven? Now there are a bunch of ways to get to that question. I'll give you just one prime example. uh, Something that came up just this week. Uh, Jackie and I were talking as we were walking uh, down at the bay yesterday, and she mentioned overhearing a, a friend at the gym who was just, you know, chattering away and, and just spit out what was on her mind. And she was commenting about Lent and that she was going to give up cursing for Lent. And in the in the course of making that statement, she cursed twice. She dropped the F-bomb two times in one sentence to say that for Lent she was giving up Cursing, and you know, at some level, you're kind of like, okay, that's going to be pretty fun, apparently, you know, to, to uh, drop it whenever it's that much a part of your language. But we were just talking about how even a moment like that becomes a great opportunity to turn a conversation toward the gospel. That's what we were talking about last week. You know, how could you take a conversation like that, which at one level seems pretty profane and could be pretty offensive, but to realize there's an open door for the gospel? Somebody who's saying, Can you effing believe it? I'm effing going to give up cursing for for Lent. Well, no, I can't. But, uh, you know, a a good response to that would be, Well, that's really interesting. What does that really mean for you? What, what, you know, tell me, if you're giving up cursing for Lent, I'm always curious to know, what's that all about for you? Help, Help me understand what that represents for you. And then as they share that, That just quickly can become such an open door for, I always love knowing what someone believes. So, I'd also love to just hear, what do you understand that it takes for a person to go to heaven? Just in your opinion. Now, when they answer that, we understood last week, you're going to get one of five responses, aren't you? You're either going to get a faith response, a Christian faith response, to which we're going to say... That's awesome. Has that happened in your life? And if they say no, we're going to ask if there's... Is there a reason why you haven't taken that step and talk to them about that? Second possibility is that they give you an unclear response, which if they do, like, well, you know, I guess love God, believe in God. If you get that kind of answer, we're going to say, I think I understand what you're saying. Could you tell me a little more about that? And at some point, if they don't give you a faith response, we're going to ask... That question, would you be interested in hearing how the Bible answers that same question? Some people are going to say, I don't know. I just don't know the answer to that. To which we'll say, would you like to know how the Bible answers that? Uh, A lot of people, more than any other answer that you'll get, are going to give you a works response in reply to that. Well, you've got to be a good person. You've got to do good. You've got to be nice to people. You've got to do more good than bad. To which I will normally say... You know that is the most common response to that question, but you might be surprised to know that the Bible gives a very different answer. Would you like to know how the Bible answers that? And we said there is a fifth response, and that is a response from a totally different worldview. That's the people who say, "Well, I don't know that I believe in heaven, or I don't believe in God, or I'm an agnostic, don't know that we could know God, or you know, I believe in the Buddha, or you know, some other worldview." And we said there is a there's a really healthy and not complicated approach. To them, it's a little bit of a different approach than just, would you like to know how the Bible answers that? But we we always are going to immediately point them to Jesus. I'd love to know what you think of Jesus and of the Bible. And we're going to seek to lead the conversation in a little bit of a different direction at that point. So what we're asking today is, or seeking to answer today, is all right, what do we do now when we've gotten up to that point? Because I'm telling you, if you... If you work by the plan that I'm talking about and you ask the key question and then you get to ask finally, so would you like to know how the Bible answers the question of what it takes for a person to get to heaven? I promise you the vast majority of the time you will hear people say, yeah, I would like to know. I I honestly do not believe that in 20 years I've heard a single person ever tell me, no, I don't want to know how the Bible answers that. People want to know. So what is the answer? That's what we want to talk about today. How to share the gospel and help somebody cross the line into the family of faith. So when, when you get that, yeah, I, and I understand, first of all, people are a bit surprised. Because most people think that what they believe and what they say is what the Bible teaches. And most of the time they're wrong. Oftentimes, even right here in the Bible Belt, they're wrong. So we need to be really clear in the answer that we give. What does it take? For a person to go to heaven? Well, the answer is simply this. You have to be forgiven by God. You have to be forgiven by God so that you can become a part of the family of God. And I I always will start out by telling people, that's who heaven's for. God made heaven for his family. God is ultimately a father, and he wants to be our father. And in order to go to heaven, you have to be a part of his family, And to be a part of his family, you have to be forgiven. Here's the thing. You don't have to be forgiven by me. You don't have to be forgiven by the church. You don't have to be forgiven by the Pope. You have to be forgiven by God. So then the bottom line question really is, well, how do you get God's forgiveness and how do you get into the family of God? I'm glad you asked. The answer to that can be summed up in one simple word. It takes faith. Dozens and dozens of times the New Testament answers this question with the single word faith, the way to get to heaven is we have to be forgiven by God, which comes as a result of our faith in God. So many different passages that you could point to, but Ephesians two eight is, and actually Ephesians is just such a great little little letter. Ephesians one seven is a, is a reference, maybe worth writing into your notes there. That points back to the importance of forgiveness. It says that in Him, referring to Jesus, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is the only way you get forgiveness from God is through Jesus and His shed blood. Well, well, what does it take then to actually get that? Ephesians 2.8 spells that out. If you just look on over one chapter further where Paul says, God's grace has saved you because of your faith in Christ. Your salvation doesn't come from anything you do. It is God's gift. Does that leave anything in doubt there? It has nothing to do with our effort. It has everything to do with God's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It's undeserved favor. And he says, you get it by God's grace through your faith. So now, how do we respond in faith? All right, this is where we get to the heart of the matter. All right, how do I lead a person to respond in faith? Well, I'm going to share just five simple truths. This isn't going to take very long, and I'm going to give you some time to ask questions. First of all, just a reminder as we start into the heart of the gospel, and it's for us to remember every time you share that we are delivering good news. Keep the good news, good news. It's easy to share this message if we're not careful in a way that just sounds so unappealing. It's the best news that anybody's ever heard. The heart of the good news is this. God loves you. He wants you to be a part of His family. There are so many twisted versions of God out there that people are afraid of God or don't know if God's approachable or personal to understand God is a loving Father. He wants you to belong to His family, to be a part of His family. And I mean, the easiest beginning point in in sharing that, virtually everybody knows John 3.16. And to just say as a reminder, you know, the, the most popular verse of the Bible says, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That, that's why Jesus came, was because of his love for the world. And it goes on to say, so that everybody who believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. And in the very next verse says, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him could be saved. This is good news. 2 Peter three nine says, It's God's will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God wants you to be a part of His family. So just remember to frame this all as, This is good news about the love of God. So now, let's get down to sharing this good news, the gospel. There are a bunch of different ways to do this. And I've given you two different handouts today. The reason that I've done that is, One of those handouts is one that I hope that you're going to hold on to. Put it somewhere... That will be handy because I've tried to summarize the core of the gospel message and the three different presentations we're going to use today along with some stuff from the past so that you just have that. As a handy reference, so if you 'll shift over to the the gospel presentations part of the outline, that handout, you may want to make some notes on that as we look at this together i 'm going to share with you three different ways to present the gospel. I could give you a bunch of others, but i 'm going to give you three because these are all very simple, and you can use them in different situations as we now have an opportunity to share the heart of the gospel and the first one, if you 've been with us the last four or five weeks. You already know because you've been memorizing it for the last month. And it is the Roman road. This is maybe the oldest, most tried and true way of presenting the gospel. And it is it's really spelled out in four passages in four parts. And so I'm going to just spell it out for you as if I were sharing the gospel with you, seeking to lead you to faith in Christ. And these four sections, you may want to just write in your margins, kind of four different headings. It begins with the problem. The problem is spelled out in Romans ten, three, ten, and 23. The problem is this, that there's no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me point out as we start here, we've asked the question, would you like to know how the Bible answers this question? If a person says yes, how important do you think it is that you use the Bible in talking to them further at this point? It's hugely important, isn't it? Because they don't need to hear our opinion about what it takes to get to heaven. They need to hear an authoritative view on this. And so if you have a Bible handy, or if you've got your phone handy and you can pull up YouVersion, you know, take them to the Scriptures and let them see. It's not even a bad idea as you pull up these verses and are talking with them to go. You know, First of all, in Romans 3.10, it says, you, maybe you want to just read that. What does that say? Well, it says, there's no one righteous, not even one. What does that mean to you? Well, I guess it means that we've all messed up. You know, that's exactly right. And in verse 23 it goes on to say that all have sinned. You know, what, what does that mean to you that everybody has sinned? Well, I guess it means that we've all done wrong. That's exactly right. And you know, there's a bunch of different ways that we sin. We sin when we lie. We sin when we cheat. We, we sin when we do all kinds of bad things. But the truth of the matter is the, the word in the Bible, that's sin, it's a, a word picture It's of an archer whose arrow misses the target. The word literally means to miss the mark. And so there are a lot of ways that we sin where we don't go do something bad. We sin when we fail to do the right thing. When we see someone mistreated... And we have an opportunity to intervene for them or to to help somebody, to encourage somebody. When we see somebody hurting and we could have alleviated that hurt and we don't do anything about it, we miss the mark. We sin in a lot of ways, don't we? Yeah, we do. The Bible says we all have sinned. Now, we could easily come to the conclusion that, well, okay, if we've all done it, I guess that doesn't make us that bad, does it? If everybody's done it, I'm no worse than my neighbor. I'm no worse than anybody else. Well... That would be the wrong conclusion to think that it's not that big of a problem. Because the next passage, and you can write in the margin next to that next passage, the consequence. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? Death and life. Now when it says That the wages of sin is death. We understand physical death is separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Death is about separation. Spiritual death is about living separated from God and going through eternity separated from God. And the scripture says sin always causes death and separation. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a real important operative word here and it is It's it's actually two words. Wages and gift. How different are those two things? Wages and gifts? Well, you earn wages, don't you? But you never earn a gift. You just receive a gift. Every time somebody gives an answer about what it takes to go to heaven, that they want to talk about the good things that they have to do, that is all about earning wages. And it's important to understand, if you're looking to earn something from God, the only thing you can earn is death. And the only way to get life is to receive a gift. You see, the consequence of sin is incredibly weighty. That brings us to the third part. Romans 5, verse 8. This, you can write into your, in the margin, is God's solution. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news. We've got to camp here for a moment and just point out this is the gospel. This is the heart of the message. You see, you and I had done things from the time we're born, we've done things that separate us from God. We're born separated from God, and we can never overcome that on our own. But God, seeing our dilemma, sent His Son Jesus. As the only human who ever lived a perfect, sinless life, so that at the conclusion of his life, he could offer himself the only one who deserved not to die, not to ever experience pain or punishment, and said, I will instead accept in my body all of the punishment and suffering that your sins deserved. And with his torture and his crucifixion and death, Jesus accepted All of our shame and all of our punishment to satisfy the wrath of God. And God demonstrated that he accepted that sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And he did it when you had done nothing to deserve it. That's good news. But what do I do with that? How does that make any difference in my life? Well, that brings us to the fourth and final passage, Romans ten nine. This is our response. You can write that one in the margin. Our response to this is, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here it is. It just boils down to these two simple things. You've got to believe in your heart the truth about Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He lived a sinless life. That He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. Do you believe that? I always turn the question back on. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That He died for your sins and rose from the dead? When you get to the point that they say, Yes, I do believe, great, you're halfway home. The other half of what Paul said is this You must profess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That doesn't just mean this is a magical incantation that you say these words and it's like, Woohoo, now I suddenly get my ticket into heaven. No, this is a declaration of with your lips that comes from your heart, that is saying, I believe that Jesus is Lord over all the earth, but I am declaring that Jesus is now Lord of my life. That word Lord, it means master, controller, the one in charge. And with that declaration, I am giving Jesus control of my life. I'm inviting Him to come in and take control. And Paul says, when you do that, everything gets changed. Verse 10, he spells out, he says, It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. Everybody say justified. That's not a word you use very often, is it? I don't either. Okay, above the word justified, because there probably aren't ten of us in the room that would want to have to define the word justified, I want you to, between the uh, the T and the I, right above that, I want you to write in as. Just A-S. The word justified... You can break it down into just if I'd. And when you add as in there, the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. God makes it just as if I'd never sinned. I'll give you a simple illustration of this. It's Mardi Gras weekend. Did anybody notice? Well, I'll be glad when it's over. Yeah, I've had I've had enough party gras, Mardi Gras ready for us to get on with the rest of winter. Imagine, if you will, that you went to a Mardi Gras ball, a Mardi Gras bash, and you had too much to drink. It was a little too fun. And you just had a little too much to drink. And you got in the car to leave. And as you're driving, you realize going down the road, boy, I think I had a couple too many. And and you're kind of swerving and running off the road and realizing maybe this was a mistake And about that time. You see what you didn't want to see in your rearview mirror. There's those, those blue lights. Greg has caught you. He's, he's behind you. And in that moment, you make a terrible, impulsive decision. Oh no, I know I've had too much to drink. I've got to get away. And you floor it. You, you run for it. Which is a really bad mistake. Wouldn't you say, Greg? <laughs> bad mistake. Greg, Greg's a state trooper. You run for it. And there is a hot pursuit... You're doing the unthinkable, it was just in a moment of poor judgment, and as you're trying to escape, you cause a terrible accident. You collide with another driver, and as always seems to be the case, the one who's been drinking walks away, and the other driver dies in the accident. You're now guilty of DUI seeking to evade an officer, and... You're being charged with vehicular homicide. And this thing goes to court, you go to trial, and you have no defense. You'd had too much to drink, you did run, you caused the accident, you caused somebody else to die. There really is no defense for what you've done, and you're found guilty. You're going to do hard time. You will do years in prison because of this terrible, terrible mistake. But can you imagine in that moment, if the judge says to you, you're sentenced to 10 years in Atmore. But I'm going to allow a substitute for you. I have a son who's about your age, and he's never had so much as a speeding ticket. And he has agreed to go to Atmore and serve your 10-year sentence for you. You get to go free. It's all on him. Your record's going to be completely wiped clean. And you'll walk out of here without anything at all as a stain against you. Somebody else is going to serve your time. It's going to be just as if you'd never driven drunk. It's going to be just as if you'd never run from the law. Just as if you'd never had an accident. Just as if that other driver had not died. That's what it means to be justified. This is what God did for you and me in Jesus. Oh, it wasn't drunk driving that was our offense. The list was much longer and extensive than that. And God said, though you were found guilty on all counts, right after the judgment, I took everything counted against you. Every lie every form of infidelity, every time you'd looked at porn, every time you'd failed to do the right thing, everything you'd ever done, and all of the shame and guilt that goes with it. And I put it on my son Jesus. And I wiped your slate clean. And in fact, I'm now offering to put his righteous record under your name. This is the offer that God has made. That's what it means to say you've been justified. Now, that's the Roman road approach to this. I'm going to share with you two other ways to communicate the same thing that are they're even shorter and simpler. There's a second approach that I'll often use that I just refer to as the ABCs of salvation. And if you want to just use, you can still use the verses of the Roman road. To me, it's presented in an even easier way for people to hold on to it. I'll just tell people, hey, the message of salvation... It is as simple as A B C. That's you know that's the beginning of of learning to read. Well, the beginning of learning to be a part of of the family of God. It's as simple as A B C. The A stands for admit. In order to be saved, you have to admit that you're a sinner who needs God's forgiveness. And at that point, you can share Romans three ten and twenty three and Romans six twenty three about our sin and God's judgment against our sin. First John one nine is another great thing to, to share which says that if we confess our sins, that He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it begins by admitting your sin and your need for forgiveness. B stands for believe. You've got to believe the message about Jesus, about His death and resurrection. Paul said in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 2 and 4, By this gospel are you saved, if you hold firmly to it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you believe this? Or you can share Romans 5, 8. Do you believe that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you? And then the C. The C stands for confess. Confess Jesus as Lord and commit to follow Him. That's what Romans 10.9 is all about. Uh, Matthew 10.32 reminds us, Jesus said, All those who stand before others and say that they believe in me, I will say before my Father in heaven that they belong to me. Oh, you know what the other half of that is, though, by the way? he says, but if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. This thing of committing to be a follower of Jesus, we love to talk about how that's a private commitment. It's not just a private commitment. It is a declaration to God, but also to the world. I belong to Jesus. He is my Lord, and I am going to live for Him. A, admit your sin, your need for forgiveness. B, believe the message of Jesus and what He's done. C, confess Jesus as Lord and commit to follow Him. It's pretty simple, isn't it? One final way that I'll share with you of presenting this message, and that is what I refer to as just one verse of evangelism. You may say, well, why would you try and do this in one verse? Because there are some times that you don't have a great deal of time. But more often I'll share this whenever I realize that the person that I'm talking with, they know the gospel. They backwards and forwards could tell the story of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. They understand all of that, but they're not Christians yet. And many times you'll run into people like this here in the Bible Belt. You'll find people, they know the message of Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And many times they don't understand. They just know something is missing. And in some shape or form they're asking, what's the deal? I, I, just, I know something's not right. Something's not there. What's missing in my life? And this one verse Helps you to get to the heart of the matter so quickly. If you've got to share it in one verse. And some people, by the way, they need less instead of more. They need you to focus like a laser beam. They don't need a ton of words. They just need to know the one piece that's missing. John one twelve will get you there. John says, But to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become The children of God. Forgive me because I I know what I've given you is the new NIV. And I'm always quoting from the old NIV. So I know my wording is different when I quote stuff. But the two key words in this passage. Believe and receive. This is the heart of what it takes to be saved. There's something that you have to believe. And there's something you have to receive. What is it that you have to believe? You have to believe the historic message about Jesus. Jesus. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Do you believe that He physically came to earth? That He physically died on the cross for your sins and that He was bodily raised from the dead? Do you believe that? You know what? Sometimes people are going to say, I think so. I think I believe that. I, I've still got questions that I'm, I'm not sure about. That's okay. You don't have to be uptight about that. We choose to believe. We have good reason to choose to believe. This is the most thoroughly documented event in ancient history. We've got a lot of reasons, though, why we believe and know that this happened. Do you believe? Yes, I do believe. Then, okay, here's the other half of the equation. Have you ever received Jesus as Lord of your life and asked for and received his forgiveness for your sins? You'll be amazed at how many times people will say, I've never done that. I've heard about Jesus, I know about Jesus. But I don't think I've ever asked for His forgiveness and asked Him to come in and be the Lord of my life. Is that something that you'd like to do today? It's not complicated. In fact, Jesus said, even a child can do it. He said, nobody can do it unless they become like a child. It's just through simple, childlike faith. Understanding God loves you. He wants to forgive you. He's done everything so you can be forgiven. Do you believe in what He's done? Yes. Today, Would you receive his forgiveness? Would you receive him into your life to be your Lord and King? Does that make sense? I'm going to just stop right there for just a minute. Now, I've given you three different versions. Straight through the Roman road, sharing the ABCs, or one verse evangelism. What questions do you have up to this point about anything that we've talked about last week or this week? Everybody got it down, Pat? No questions at all? Sean? Well, hopefully today helps us all to get past that. For those of you online who couldn't hear that, Sean was just sharing about an opportunity where somebody from Jehovah's Witnesses was sharing with him, and, and he asked them if they believed in the Trinity but wasn't sure what to say beyond that. Hopefully today helps us all to know an approach to just get to the heart of the gospel, that it's all about Jesus and what he's done. Now, having done that, here's the third thing that we want to do. If you want to refer back now to your primary outline, the third thing is... We want to ask them if they have any questions and clear up any confusion that they may have. Ask if they understand what you've shared and if this is something that they'd like to do. And and it's just that straightforward. Do you understand what I've just shared with you? Do you have any questions about that? Sometimes they will. It's not real complicated to understand. Most of the time at this point they're going, yeah, I, I get it. Okay, this is the point. It's time to drive it home. Don't flinch at this point. Ask them as point-blank as you possibly can. Don't be shy. Does that sound like something you'd like to do today? Now, this is the place. I've got to tell you, I don't care what your personality type is here. I'm a bit of an introvert, believe it or not. When it comes to one-on-one stuff, I am. But I have learned, you cannot pull back here. This is the prime opportunity. They've heard the gospel. The power of God has been unleashed. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Would you like to receive Jesus today and His forgiveness? Sometimes they'll say yes straight up, sometimes no. A lot of times you'll get an answer that's somewhere in between. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready. I mean, there's just some stuff. I don't know. There, there's some stuff in my life I, I'm just not sure. Here's what I'll always ask in that moment. Is there anything that would keep you from doing that today? Well, I mean, I just feel like there's some stuff I really need to change before I can do that. Okay, that's an answer that we needed to hear. Let's be completely clear. You can never wait until you get your life fixed and straightened out to come to Christ. You'll never get there. Because you see that's the whole point. we cannot fix ourselves. you have to just do it where you are, and a lot of times, I love to share the passage that I put in your outline here that's uh, from second Corinthians six two that says, "Indeed, the right time is now. today is the day of salvation." I- I'll often tell people in that moment, "Hey, I believe God designed this encounter, God planned it, He put us to." together here in this moment because something significant is supposed to happen in your life he wants you to be saved today what would keep you from doing that today don't let them have an easy out because the enemy there is an unseen enemy doing everything he can to hold on to that person whispering in their ear no don't do it just delay just put it off Don't be content in that moment to just make it easy for them to go, I'll just go home and think about it. Hey, if it comes down to it, they can always get away. But at least do your best to get them to have to wrestle with why would you not do this today? Is there anything that's keeping you from this? And oftentimes, by just laying that out there, you'll find out that usually the only thing keeping them from it is that they feel like there's something bad that they've done, that they've got to give up, that they've got to correct and go set in order so that they can come to God. And you can erase that for them right then and there. Jesus will only take you as you are. You can't get cleaned up to come to Jesus. So is there anything else that would keep you from that? Well, no, not really. That's great. Would you like now to receive Jesus and His forgiveness? Well... Yeah, I think I would. All right, what do you do now? You want to lead them in just a model prayer. There's no perfect way to do this. What we want to do is to just help somebody to know how to say yes to Jesus. That takes some of the pressure off when you understand that the sinner's prayer is a glorified way of saying yes. Jesus is the one doing the talking. He's the one offering life and forgiveness. And our response is yes. (laughs) Yes to all of what you're offering Yes, to you being my Lord. Yes, to receiving your forgiveness. And so I'll just say, hey, I would love to lead you in just a very simple prayer that's just going to declare Jesus as Lord and and acknowledge your sins and ask for His forgiveness and for Him to take control of your life. Is that what you want to do right now? Yes, it is. Well, then, would you just repeat after me just a phrase at a time? If what I say is what your heart wants to say, will you just... Pray this together with me. I've given you a simple model prayer. There's, there's nothing magical about these particular words. But this pretty much gets it said when we say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. That's a great beginning point. And I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Please come into my heart, forgive my sins and save me. The best I know how, I'm giving you control of my life. Please make a new person out of me. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me and for saving me. Do you hear the key components in that? Don't worry about getting the words exactly as I've written them there. I'll never say it exactly the same any two weeks in a row in church. But you hear the key parts. An acknowledgement of my sin. Asking for God's forgiveness. Declaring belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. And openly yielding control of your life to Jesus. And I'll always conclude with just a sentence of thanksgiving to God for forgiving and saving me. And typically what I'll do, as soon as the person has prayed that and said the amen, I'll say, could I just take a moment to pray over you? And I'll just give thanks to God for what he's just done and that he has just made this person a son of his or a daughter of his. And I'll say in that prayer, God, I thank you that in this moment, even as I pray and lay hands on them, that you are filling them with your Holy Spirit that's always going to be with them, that you're marking them from this day forward, that they will always belong to you. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit in them is the deposit guaranteeing that you're going to finish what you're starting here today. And then whenever they're, when we're done praying and they they look up, the first thing that I always say to them is, welcome to the family. You've just made the most important decision of your life. You're never going to regret this day. God's put his spirit in you and you have a power in you that you have never possessed before to live a different kind of life. Now, I will always take at at least five or ten minutes and sometimes more, depending on what is allowed for, and begin to talk to them about what comes next. And, I, you know, of course, the immediate things, we're going to immediately talk about baptism. It is key for that person to be baptized ASAP. The declaration of Jesus as being Lord isn't just something that we just say between us and God, it is a declaration to the world. Jesus is Lord over all the world, He's Lord of my life. And the way that we publicly declare that most clearly is through baptism. Baptism in the New Testament was always connected to a, a person making a profession of their faith in Jesus. And by the way, it, it may be that you realize that as a, a believer in Jesus that you've never been baptized. And that you need to be. Hey, we'd love to do that. We're going to have baptism next Sunday. We had, uh, I was sharing with Lee, in our small group this last week, we had a really neat thing to happen. As we were getting to the end of our lesson and we've been talking about all this gospel stuff, we had a member of of our group who's just been very faithfully involved for a long time and who shared, hey, I'm not sure about this whole thing of being saved and and have never been baptized. And it's like, hey, we'd love to talk further about that. we talked afterwards and and realized that uh, this person had only recently, very recently, gotten saved and had not yet been baptized and we were able to talk through that and just, she said, I need to be baptized. I want to be baptized. So we're doing baptism next Sunday right after service. We've got a couple of people who need to be baptized. If, if any of you realize, hey, I need to take part in doing that, there's something cool that always happens at the point of baptism. There's always a blessing that follows that obedience. If you need to do that, I want you to look on the back of your little connection card, that cream-colored card that you filled out from the pouch of the seat back in front of you. Check the box on the back that indicates that you need to be baptized We'll contact you this week and line that up. And if next Sunday doesn't work, we'll find a a Sunday to to do that with you. Beyond that, we're going to talk about things like getting in the Word and being real practical about how and where to begin to do that, prayer, and getting connected to a church. Next Sunday, we're actually going to spend some time camped on the issue of, okay, how do we go beyond just the gospel and inviting somebody to be saved so that we do more than make a convert but so that we learn to actually make disciples who make disciples. So I'm not gonna, today I'm not going to dive into that fifth piece other than to say, come back next week because what we'll talk about next week is critically important. The church has been too committed to getting people to pray a prayer and not nearly committed enough to helping people learn to be devoted followers of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Now let me stop and ask you the question again. What other questions do you have about what we've been talking about up to now? Yes, it appears to me that the is a
1: very personal situation.
0: And for the sake of those of you watching online, Paul's question is. What we're going to talk about next week are we going to suggest that like texting and social media are good means to try and do follow up and the truth of the matter is there is no uh, cookie cutter one way to do it fits every situation. Sometimes what you just described is the only ongoing connection that you're going to have with somebody. so you know the short answer to that is use whatever you can. I mean obviously, the more personal it can be, the more effective it can be, but hey, social media becomes a, a great means. And tool for us to to do a piece of that at least. It's a good question. Anything else? Yes, Lee? Okay, are you saying that you're anticipating that somebody's going to question the authority of, of the word to you? Okay, again, for the benefit of those who couldn't hear online, the, the question is, what if the person, we're using the Bible to witness, what if the person doesn't believe the Bible? We talked about this uh, for a little while last week, but I, I will say a quick word about that again. You're going to have to, oftentimes, when somebody has a different worldview or they just they haven't, said, I already believe the Bible as a beginning point, you're going to have to do some pre-evangelism with them, typically. Sometimes God's just going to give you an open door that somebody starts out a skeptic, they're not sure what they believe about the Bible, so I'm going to give you an answer that sounds... Like a fork in the road. Like there's two different directions that you could go in answering the same question. And you're going to have to be really sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and reading the other person to know which of these two avenues to take. Sometimes a person is going to give you the kind of answer that you're talking about where it's like, well, I'm not sure that I even believe the Bible. Now, the first question I will always ask at that point is, have you read the Bible? Which is going to tell you a lot right there. Because there are a lot of people who don't believe the Bible, but they haven't read the Bible yet. In which case... They they may be more open to the teaching of the Bible than what you think. They just haven't been exposed to it yet. And so be really open to the fact that you may, the Spirit may lead you in that moment to just show them from the Scriptures what the Bible says about salvation. And don't be afraid to accept that God could take somebody who was a total skeptic two minutes ago. And for the first time in their life, they hear the message of the gospel. Remember, their heart was designed for this story. This isn't like any other story. When they hear the message of Jesus through the scriptures, it may be that in that moment it's going to click for them even though they didn't come in believing the Bible and, and something in their heart go, that sounds like truth. I accept that. I believe it. Some people are going to in that moment believe that. There are going to be a lot of people who are saying, I don't believe the Bible. And they are such skeptics that in that moment they're not ready to hear the gospel. But they are ready to have a dialogue about God and faith. And at that point where we want to go in the conversation is what we talked about last week. Where we're going to begin to not debate about the authority of Scripture. Which, by the way, don't be afraid to defend the Scriptures. It's, we have plenty of reason to see the Bible as unlike any other book. But that almost never wins anyone. What we want to talk about is Jesus who do you understand Jesus to be? And have you ever read what the Gospels tell us about the life of Jesus? Well, I, I think Jesus was a great teacher. I think Jesus was a good man. Well, that, that's really interesting stuff. But let me share with you what the Bible says about Jesus. What Jesus said about himself. If Jesus was a great teacher and a very good man, here's what a great teacher said. John 14:6. That's worth writing in on your Gospel presentation outline, by the way. John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Okay, if he's a great teacher, he has just declared that he is the only way to God. Now, one of two things has to be true. Either, if he's a great teacher, then he is revealing to us an important teaching that he's the only way to God, or else he's a flat-out liar. So that really does present us with this dilemma, I use that as an open door to get the person to begin to explore from the Scriptures. Let's read Mark. Let's read John a chapter a day. And would you just take the challenge of for the next 30 or so days asking every day, God, if you're real, would you help me to know you and read about this? And if it's somebody that I can have an ongoing dialogue with, we'll go from there. And that's why I said this is pre-evangelism because we're going to get them reading the Scriptures and asking that question. Well, God, if you're real, would you help me to know you? And yeah, but I don't know if I believe in God. Okay, if there were a God... And he were loving and in control and wanted to know you. Would you want to know him? We're going to lay that challenge out. So I hope that helps. It is an important question. Yeah, take it.
1: Owned this small group who did it and then um, they tried to get personal with him and he wouldn't go back to church for like two or three years because he, he doesn't want to open up he doesn't want to be personal and uh, for, for me I mean that's that's what salvation comes is, is in that, those personal moments and so uh, I you know I may be able to lead him into that personal relationship with Jesus I just, I just don't know where, where to go from here you know I've got him reading John uh, and, and asking Jesus to reveal himself to him and everything, which is awesome. So now it's, now I just wonder how do I make how do I transition him into the thought of getting opening himself up. He won't let anybody in you know, he he'll talk to me the first who on the sun, but opening up to a church is a completely different story or to a small group that's
0: a group. Yeah, I, I know online you guys couldn't hear all of what Tate was saying but sharing about trying to witness to his dad and and how some of the things that spoke in Tate's life and him coming to faith, and some of that doesn't immediately connect to his dad, which is a good reminder that everybody doesn't come in the same way. We all have to come through the same door, which is through Christ and the message of the gospel. But how we get there looks different for everybody. Some people are going to have to experience Christian community and just the love of God expressed through the, the family of faith in order to get there. And for some, that's the most winsome thing. And for some people, that would scare them to death and push them away. And, you know, it's, it always still is ultimately going to come back to the message of the gospel, which, by the way, Paul says is an offense. We've got to, at some level, get un- get, get comfortable with the fact that we're sharing an uncomfortable truth. The, the gospel, I mean, do you realize why the gospel is an offense? It's bad news. It's bad news and good news all rolled together. The bad news is, you're screwed up, and so am I. You're so screwed up, you deserve hell. That's offensive. It's very offensive. But there's good news blended in with it. Now, the challenge, and you're talking about the hardest challenge that there is, an immediate family member who's still not open to something that's changed your life. And there's no, again, there's no cookie-cutter way to tell you an answer to that other than, boy, it is powerful to continue to pray with them and to dialogue with somebody if he's reading the Scriptures and searching for truth in that. Boy, it's a clear evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work, that you know it is a ripe opportunity nobody can say how quickly that's going to unfold but as you continue the dialogue covering him in prayer you know you're taking the healthiest approach that you can in that that's that's awesome other questions anything else opal Okay, the question was, what happens if, if you're sharing the gospel and everything seems to be going fine and they, they seem to be receptive and then there's a sudden turn and they they suddenly are hostile? This is where you need to be spiritually discerning about what's going on in that moment. And you really, I mean, folks, do remember, God is in you in that moment. He's always in us, but He's very active in that moment. And the voice of God is speaking in that. You really need to be discerning about what's going on because... One of two things is happening, most likely. Either, what you're just discerning, just finding out, is that they're not ready, and the time, you know, wasn't right for them because they're they're just not ready today to give the, their heart to Christ. That's possible, and that I mean, as far as your part in it, you're just called to bear witness. You're not called to make them convert that day. So, it's okay that you just bear witness if they truly weren't ready for that. But there's a very real possibility with what you just described, where somebody turns on a dime in that moment, that there is a spiritual conflict where the demonic has begun to intervene. I can't tell you how many times that kind of thing will happen. It's always interesting when, particularly like in Africa and in other cultures, where the demonic is much more willing to be manifest and they don't care that you see what it is, The moment that you share the gospel in Africa, it's amazing how much of the time demons will just manifest themselves. They start making all the noise that they possibly can. In a Western culture where their tactics are to stay just out of sight, they're making all the noise that they can inside that person's head. And so if they seem to change in a moment as you begin to share about Jesus' death and resurrection you recognize there's a very good chance that's what you're facing. And whether you do it aloud or just in your spirit, you begin to take authority over that. And it's okay in that moment if you pause and just ask if you can pray. And you may pray a prayer that doesn't make any sense for them, that you just take a moment and you just say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I take authority over any demonic spirit that can't acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and King. And I just say, you have to be silent. I command. You have the authority to command that. You can shut them up in that moment and pick the conversation back up. It's not a bad thing to do if you feel like that's what you're dealing with there. That's a good question. Any other questions? That's been good stuff. I'll share one final thought, and then we'll close in prayer. Whenever I share the gospel, I, you know everybody's just kind of got their own approach that really works for them. But I have found in our culture, um, people are helped by analogies that they can really relate to. And I think God has given us in the natural an analogy to what happens at the point of conversion that people can really get that makes sense. I said, John, one twelve is a good summary, that the believe and receive, that those are the two key words, what happens at the point of conversion. Here's the thing that I will most consistently share, particularly if a person's married or has ever been married, and I'll just say, do you remember what it was like when you were in love with the person that you ended up marrying, but you had not yet married them, you had not had a wedding yet? Did you have a point where you believed that they were the one? Oh, yeah. I remember. Do you remember when you were so in love that you are like, I know that's the one. When I'm talking to somebody that they get the gospel and they believe that Jesus is Lord and King and He died and He rose from the dead, you know, understand they've, they're to that point in the relationship. I believe He's the one. Let me ask you this. When you were in love and you believed that they were the one you were going to spend the rest of your life with, were you married yet? Mm-mm. Well, well, how is it you weren't married yet? Well, we hadn't had a wedding. That's exactly right. What happens at a wedding? Something that changes the rest of your life. In front of God and witnesses, you declare, for the rest of my life, I am yours and you are mine. I am committing the rest of my life to you. It seems like such a simple thing. It happens in a few minutes' time, but for the rest of your life, you're changed and you were never married until you made that commitment. This is how you come To be a follower of Jesus. It's not enough just that you believe he's the one. I believe he's for real. I believe he died on the cross. It's not enough just to believe. You have to receive. You have to commit. You have to have a marriage ceremony where you, in some shape or form, get on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm committing the rest of my life to you. I am yours for as long as I live. Have you had that moment with Jesus? And most people in that moment are very clear whether they've ever done that with him or not. And if not, why wouldn't you give it to him today? And usually at that point, people are pretty clear about what they need to do. Now, here's the thing. Today's message, whether you're in the room or watching online, today's message was for the church. It was a message for saved people to be effective in sharing our faith with others. I hope it sharpened you in that regard. And I hope you'll put into practice what we've talked about. But I know this. We have declared the gospel at length today. And every time that happens, the power of God is unleashed to save people. I mean profoundly unleashed. And it may be that today you listened feeling like, surely I already have a connection to God. And it may be that you realize in the course of listening today, I've believed but I've never received. And it may be that today you need to step across the line and receive Christ's forgiveness. If that's the case, I'm going to invite you to do that. Would you all bow together with me right now? We're going to go to the Lord together in prayer. I'm not going to stretch this out. I'm just going to say very plainly and simply, if today you realize, I do believe this gospel but I don't think I'm living in a relationship with Jesus because I've never done the receiving part. I missed the wedding, I missed the marriage. There's no good reason to delay that. He loves you, He wants you to be forgiven. Would you today just receive what God has for you in simple faith? If so, I'm going to invite you to pray or pray like to pray a prayer like we just talked about. Would you just in your heart, whether you're in this room or at home watching this online, would you just pray, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I know you rose from the dead. And now I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive my sins and save me. Would you help me to live a different kind of life? Would you take control and lead me? Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving and saving me. Father, I thank you so much that you're faithful to hear and answer that prayer. And I thank you for the gift of your spirit that you pour into believing hearts today. It may be that today and and this series have just been speaking in your heart. God's been tugging at your heart, just telling you it is time to to go public and to begin to profess your faith and to share your faith with others. Would you Just ask Him for two things. Would you ask Him right now to give you courage in doing that and to give you fresh opportunities this week? Would you be specific and ask, God, this coming week, would you let me encounter somebody or bring somebody to mind that I need to pick up the phone and call or go see to share the good news of Jesus with them. Lord, we want to be effective in sharing our faith. We want to reach and change the world. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Would you work in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.